let's just uh, uh, wrap up this series. This is the conclusion of a series that we've titled uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and we've been talking about the life of Jesus. And I find it really challenging this morning and challenging for you because I'm going to ask you to join with me in a moment to use your imagination. Uh, it's probably like the coldest day of the year so far, right? Uh, snow out on the grass, you know, on the cars. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to imagine that it's a summer day in August, okay? And it's really hot. And uh, you've been invited uh, as a guest to a friend's uh, cabin up on a lake, all right? And uh, this lake is, is so fantastic. It's pristine, the surroundings are, are, are all beautiful, and it's this humongous lake. And, and uh, your host has, has said, we, we just want you to relax and unwind and chill out and, and just enjoy uh, our, our home. And uh, we're, we're going to be driving into town. We're going to go pick up a couple of really thick, juicy porterhouse steaks and throw them on the barbie when we come back, okay? But we want you to just chill out and relax, Sounds like a good imagination so far? S sounds good to me. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me, especially on a day like today. So, so, so here you are relaxing, right? And uh, you, you, you decide to go for a swim in the lake. The lake, as I said, is, is clear. It's, it's pristine. And so you, you take a dive off of the dock, perfect dive into the water, you know, a Nine-pointer, you know, right into the water there, and, and you start swimming. Uh, free strokes, backstrokes, you know. <laughs> you know, you do a little floating, and, and before you know it, you're about 100 and, 150 feet, maybe uh, uh, even more than that, out into the, the depth of this, uh, this, this humongous lake. And, and you're just enjoying yourself. You, you lose all sense of time, and... You got your eyes closed and you're just enjoying. You're listening to the silence, right? You're, you're listening. You can hear the silence. And, and you're just unwinding and enjoying this so much, right? So uh, now all of a sudden, without any, without any warning, bum, 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 bum. No, that's, that's a different story. No, without any warning, a, a, an evening fog settles over the entire lake. And it just comes down like a blanket. If you've ever experienced that, you know this is not far. You don't have to use your imagination. Sometimes fogs can be so so dense and so thick and just happen so quickly that they, well, you could hardly see your hand in front of you. And that's what happens to you. You're out there on the water now and you've lost sense of direction. You don't know which way the dock is. You can't, you can't, you can't sense and perceive because, because th that fog is just hovering right over the water, and there's no way that you could see clearly as to which direction to go. So, so you start to swim, and you swim about 50 yards from from the point of of where you realize you may be in trouble, and 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 you realize I may be swimming in the wrong direction. I may be going out deeper into this immense lake. And so you do a 180 and you swim back in the other direction and and then and then you realize you still have no sense of of direction and and perception. Your your heart is racing. You know, you could feel your you could feel your heartbeat in your chest, you know? And you're fighting against you're fighting against fear of uh, that that would paralyze you, you know? Uh 
And so, and so you're looking, you're looking, you're listening. Is there any sound, anything to indicate which direction I should go? And uh, you're looking in every direction. And then suddenly, in the direction that you've been looking at, suddenly you see a, a flicker of a light. And so you swim in that direction, right? And it, and it seems to get a little clearer and it seems to get a little bit brighter. And you remember that at the dock there was a lamppost that probably has one of those automatic times, timings that, that, that just goes on automatically. And, and you begin to swim toward the light. And you, you can just barely make out that that's where the dock is. And you breathe a sigh of relief. And you're safe. Some of you here this morning may feel like life has been to you right now. You're kind of stuck in a fog. You don't know which direction to go in. The fog doesn't seem to be lifting. And so there's a real question about direction and and purpose in your life. That is, I believe, the description of how the people of Israel felt during the prophesying of Isaiah the prophet. They felt this, this nation that had once been a powerful nation, uh, a, a nation that knew prosperity, that, that, that knew influence and affluence and, and uh, was a people to be reckoned with, were experiencing a period of spiritual darkness and fog that, 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 was just like a spiral of their, of their, of their life just going downward uh, morally, uh, spiritually, economically, politically, in every way. They were diminishing, and they were stuck in this fog, stuck in this, in this spiritual darkness. That's how I believe that they felt. And that is when the word of encouragement came. I want to tell you this morning, if you feel like you've been stuck in a kind of a a fog and you're not sure about which direction to go in, there's a word of encouragement, not only spoken to the ancient people of Israel, but God speaks that word to us this morning. It's a word of encouragement. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The light just just dawning, just beginning to show forth purpose and direction. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We've been privileged to look at the titles that have been ascribed to Jesus the Messiah over the last number of weeks. We looked at why he's wonderful, why, why he is called in Scripture the Mighty God, why he is, and, and, and the uniqueness of Jesus. We, we've been looking at all that. This morning, I want to take this last title and wrap up this series as the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And, and of all the things that are mentioned in the titles, Wonderful and Counselor, and the, the, the overflow, if you'll notice in the seventh verse, the overflow of that is, is this 
characteristic of peace. That is, that this will be the description of his kingdom. One of the, one of the apostles of the Lamb centuries later would say that if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom that is marked and designated by this incredible kind of peace that, that we know as surpassing understanding that is inexplicable peace. What a privilege we have of talking about the, this indescribable gift that God has given, this Christmas present that God has given to the world in the person of his son. We spoke about the uniqueness of Jesus. There is none like him. There is no one like Jesus. He is the only person in the universe who can be said to be both holy God and holy man. He is the God-man. He is in his nature completely God and divine, and in his nature he is completely human and one of us. There's no one like him. Last night we were sitting around in our, our den and we were talking about, we're kind of making fun of Brad Pitt. I don't know if you've seen his latest commercial He's advertising this fragrance. I mean, it's pathetic, you know. This is what he's reduced to, you know, selling perfume. And, and uh, so we were making fun of him. And my son, Will, said, hey, what was that movie he was in? And I said, uh, you mean Troy? I said, me and your mother. We love making fun of him when he comes to the part where he, he's playing the character Achilles. And he's challenging somebody in this fortified city to come out and face him. And he says, is there no one else? Is there no one else? I mean, this, this, is, this is this actor, right? You know? And, and I want to say, I want to say that there is no one else like Jesus. He is absolutely unique and complex in his person. We, said, we sang about it today. What, what, what a mystery. Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. A mystery, we said last week, is, is not the absence of meaning. It's the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. It's the, it's, the, it's the understanding that we cannot fully wrap our mind around. And that's what makes him so incredibly wonderful. That's what makes him so incredibly the mighty God, the everlasting Father, or the Father of eternity, as we explained last week. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, and the second man, the Lord from heaven, a wonder. He does wonders in the lives of those that trust in him. He does wonders and does beautiful things out of the dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. We said last week, indeed, that this Messiah, this Prince of Peace that is spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9, this is not the only place where Jesus is given the title of of, of the, the king or prince of, of peace. In fact, in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, the writer of Hebrews, the second verse says that he's called the king of peace. He's called the king of righteousness. And then, and then the writer uses the, the allegory, if you know, about this, this mysterious person that appeared over in the Old Testament named Melchizedek who comes out and who blesses Abraham after Abraham has battled to, to free his nephew Lot from captivity. And he comes back and he pays tithes unto this, this person, Melchizedek, who's called the priest of El Elyon, the Most High God. And he, and he serves Abraham with, with bread and with wine, elements that we're very familiar with. 
And he's mysterious because there's no record of his genealogy, of his birth, or, or of his beginning of days, or of his end of days. And he is likened unto the Son of God. Was it one of the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ? Uh, maybe. Maybe Jesus came among us. Maybe this is when, when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And when he said that, they didn't understand and said, you're not even 50 years old. How could you say that Abraham saw your day? But the, but the glimpse of, of this one who is called the king of righteousness, the king of peace, because that is what he is in and of himself. Peace flows from him. Peace, this, this thing called shalom, which is wellness and wholeness and healing and, and, and prosperity and, and all that is good and blessed is found in the person of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only place. Paul the Apostle in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 designates him as the Lord of peace. So he is the Prince of peace and he is the King of peace and he is the Lord of peace. He's the, the one who's never ruffled, who, who is never surprised, who is always at an at a even keel of equilibrium. You know, even in his anger, Jesus was totally controlled. Uh, in his anger, when Jesus turned over the money table, tables, the, the coins could be picked up. The, 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 the animals that were scattered could be regathered. There was no harm done. He fulfills the scripture where it says, be angry and sin not, in total control. The names and titles of Jesus reveal to us the nature and the character of this person with whom we have to do. He is the embodiment of peace. One time, one time only in Scripture is God called the God of love. One time, one time in Scripture only is God called the God of all grace. But five times in the Word of God, God is referred to as the God of peace. Is, is God trying to tell us that the thing that we need most, that, that this, this thing that is so elusive to, to human beings is, is, is to be found in the person of God. I think, I think maybe for me, one of the great verses of Scripture that this generation has embraced is Jeremiah 29 and 11. Uh, look at God's heart toward us. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. I know the thoughts. These are the thoughts I, I think. This is what I think of when I think of you. When I put your name in a sentence, this is what I think about you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's God's heart toward us. This is, this is his mission. This is what Jesus Christ has come to accomplish. I believe that a life that's lived without God no matter how charmed it may be, no matter how full it may be, no matter how rich it may be, without God at the, at the end of life, it is a tragedy in the making. And, 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 and listen, the life that is in Christ and the life that has Christ, no matter how difficult it is and no matter how hard life may be sometimes, it's a life that's filled with hope and a future, an eternal future called abundant life. Came across a study from Duke University. Now, this is, this is a secular study. And they were doing a study on human health and peace of mind. And I, and I thought some of their observations, all the time and energy that they spent to try to find out what, what are some of the things that, that, that either produce 
this peace of mind or, or take away from this peace of mind. I just found it very fascinating. So I wanted to share a few of them with you. N- number one, the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. We, we know that. We, we know that to walk and to live in unforgiveness is to hurt oneself. That bitterness defiles many. That, that people who are, who are walking in unforgiveness are really a prisoner who is given over to tormentors. And so, number two says, not living in the past. They found that not living in the past, an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. We know that's true as well. We know that Jesus came for this purpose, that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be entangled by guilt and condemnation. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. He wants us to live guilt-free lives because he has borne the burden of our guilt and of our shame so that he sets us free. Number three, not wasting time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Cooperate with life. This is their advice. Remember, this is secular. Instead of trying to run away from it, cooperate with life. Well, that comes under the sovereignty of God. We know and we believe as, as, as believers in Christ that, that he's at work in all things for our good and for his glory. And we can rest in the sovereignty of God. We can commit our lives to God and the affairs of our lives and to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to judge things before the time. I'm going to leave the judgment with you and trust that you know best in my life. Number four, and I love the way that, that they worded this. They, they said, resist the temptation. That sounds almost spiritual. Resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. In other words, don't drop out of life. Well, we all know just how important the community of the body of Christ is, that it is vital for our health, that, that the reason why that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together is for this very reason, because we, are, we, we were made to be dependent upon, upon the Lord and upon one another. Number six, cultivate the old-fashioned virtues, love, compassion, and loyalty. That's, that's in the Word, right? We're to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance. Jesus said, it's my Father's will that you bring forth much fruit, and without me you can do nothing. Number seven, find something bigger than yourself. I love it. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Hello? Hello, I believe in some, someone bigger than this universe. Someone, I, lo- I love, I say this a lot, but he holds the, the oceans in the crevices of his hands. He stretched out the universe in the spans of his arm. God's bigger than his, this universe. So to believe something bigger, and then it says this, self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. Yeah. When you're egotistical and self-centered, you're going to be unhappy. And I say this all the time, unhappy people are the most dangerous people of all. 
So what does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us to humble ourselves, to serve one another, to think about the interest of others, not only on your own interest, and to let this same mind or attitude that was in Christ be also in you, one of humility. Now, I tell you what, we could have saved Duke University a whole lot of money, energy, and time if they just took one of the Bibles that Doug offered a little while ago. It's all found there in the book. And if, and if you could find it in the book, listen, you can find the God of the book. And when you find the God of the book, you found the source of all peace and all blessing. Scripture reveals one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he is our peace. I tell you what, I, I've, I've walked now almost 40 years with unbroken peace. I think if you, if you ask me, what, what's the first thing that you learned? What's the first lesson that God taught you when you gave your life to Christ? I, I would tell you that it is this inexplicable peace. That even in the midst of trials and difficulties and, and, and adverse circumstances, you, you can have a rest in your soul that is, well, it's unexplainable. It's, it's your pastor's explanation. And some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you've been through sorrow, you've been through the loss of a, of a parent or the loss of a child, you, you know that there is a tangible, experiential peace that is, well, words don't, can't explain it. it, it it's experiential. It's an internal climate of the soul that it could be cold on the outside, but there is there's a warmth on the inside that's generated by, by the Holy Spirit. I love what Augustine said. He, said. he said, you have made us, speaking about God, you have made us for yourself, and the heart of man is restless until he finds its rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in you. If you've ever read a little bit about the life of Augustine, he had quite, quite an interesting life before Christ. And like, like many of us, he, he, he burned the, the candle on both ends. He lived, a, he lived a, a sensuous, a sinful life. But he's not known for that. He's known for the overshadowing transformation that's taken place in his life. In his, in his writings, the, the City of God, he says that he's familiar with the ancient Roman custom of feeding the Christians to, to wild animals. And he says this, he says, he says, the spectators saw bones broken, they watched blood flow, they heard the heart-rendering screams of the martyrs, but they came to see the unseen, that is to say, the faith of the Christians as they died the death in the arena of sand. There was no sight in the games quite like this, a body being mauled while its soul remained unscratched. I know, he says, I've been there. You see, it's possible if your body is mauled, it's possible that your body is mauled, but your soul is unscratched and untouched. But if your body is mauled, but you don't have a relationship with God, it's devastating. It is, it is beyond description. 
maybe the best way of really us describing this inexplicable peace that I'm talking about this morning is by pointing out how, how we are made to experience and go through life during times of crisis and pain and suffering and, and hardship. The Bible describes this tangible, experiential peace as being something that is imparted to us as a gift from God. It's the inheritance of the church. When, when, when you read the, the opening of the letters of, of the epistles, the, the letters that were written by Paul or by John, or, you, you, you see this phrase constantly, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just filler. That's just not just, you know, an introduction. They were really imparting and speaking blessing. And in the, the Bible says, in the power of, of the tongue is life and death. And, and one of the first things that Jesus spoke in his resurrected body when he came in the midst of his disciples, you know what it was? He said, peace be to you. It was an impartation to their souls. You know, I, I think it's, a, it's as important to see and to hear what Jesus didn't say as, was, as, as much as what he did say. And what he didn't say to them when he, when he walked into their midst was, you guys really failed me. You guys really disappointed me. You guys really hurt me. You, you, you cursed my name and you forsook me. He didn't bring up any of that. Instead, he came to bring peace because he's not only the announcer of peace, but he's the source of peace itself. I think, I think that it's, this is what Paul's talking about in the, maybe one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, where he says that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. A tsunami can come and wipe away everything I have and wipe away my house. But, but listen, it's, it's, it, 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 it still will be okay because my life is hid with Christ in God. And when he appears, I will appear with him in glory. Listen, terrorists may, may take my life, but, but I have an inheritance that is undefiled and unfading that is reserved for me in heaven. Listen, sickness may come or, or, or persecution may come and somebody may confiscate everything that I have, but it's okay. It's okay because I will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And the reason why this life is called abundant life, it's because not only is it the duration of life, but it's the quality of life. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. It, it can only be described as, as joy that's unspeakable, uh, fullness of joy. Uh, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is that we, we fall short of the ability to to be able to articulate what's in store to those that love God. All we know is that it's not worthy of comparison. That even these light afflictions of this present age is not worthy of comparison. Well, if you've been around any length of time, you know one of my favorite verses is Isaiah 30, verse 15. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Quietness and confidence. I try, to, I try to live that. I try to let that become a reality in my life and to know that there is a rest and there is a quietness that can, that can be 
interpreted as a strength when we face the difficulties in this life. It comes from the God of peace. But the reason why I have peace and the reason why you may be here this morning in need of peace is because of the sin issue. The peace that I needed first and foremost was peace with God, peace over this issue of sin. And since Jesus Christ has made peace, the Bible says, through the blood of his cross, he has taken away the enmity that existed between God and man. He's made peace for us because he has dealt with this issue of sin in a righteous way, in a just way, in which grace now reigns through righteousness, not at the expense of it, but through the just, righteous wrath of God being poured out upon himself, upon the Son whom he has sent for us. And that's why Romans 5 says it like this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That, that word, therefore, sums up everything that the apostle has said for the last four plus chapters now. And he says, therefore, this is it. It's the, it's the line that you draw at the end of columns when you add them all up. And, you, and, and he's saying, listen, this is what we have. Justification, just as if we had never sinned because of Christ. No condemnation. And therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, he says, but it is that same access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our whole life now is characterized by, by a hope that can't be destroyed, by a hope that is, that is immeasurable. This breach that existed between God and myself has been healed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the ages to come, what I'm looking forward to is the Bible says the exceeding greatness of his kindness toward us in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show us exceeding great kindness. Now, what does that mean? It means that it's going to get better and better and better and better. That when the song that we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less reason to sing his praise than when we first begun. It will, it will be, again, beyond our ability to know right now. How is that? It's called, it's called the covenant, the covenant of peace. In eternity, the blood of the everlasting covenant was agreed to by the Father, Son, and Spirit, the one God in three persons. Mystery. The Father pledged the Son. The Son pledged himself to be the sacrifice sufficient to take away this division that would exist between before the foundation of the world. This was the blood of the everlasting covenant. The Holy Spirit is the witness to this covenant that God will keep his promises, that the Father will enact his promises and in the fullness of time that came to pass. And Isaiah calls it covenant of peace. Listen to this. Isaiah 54 verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion upon you. Nothing is going to move this covenant of peace. It is, 
it is certain that Jesus has not only made peace, but it's a lasting peace. It's the kind of lasting peace that nations only wish that they could have. I've heard the statistics about the last 4,000 years. There's probably been a recorded, in the last 4,000 years, about less than 300 years have been the world has known peace. It, It eludes us. Nations desire peace. That's why I believe Jesus is called the desire of all nations, that when he comes, he will bring a lasting peace. Back around the turn of the century, around 1904, in that, in that area there, uh, the tensions between the nation of Chile and Argentina were so severe, they were fighting over border disagreement. And both nations were preparing to go to war. They were building up their, their military for this purpose of, of going in. But somehow, inexplicable, instead of entering into battle with each other, they, they came together and they, they cut a covenant of friendship. And in that covenant of friendship, to remind them of the covenant, they, they, they erected a statue which is called the, the Christ of the Andes. And this enormous statue that was set there between these mountains... Right? But, but I, I love what was inscribed at the base of this great statue of Christ. And, and this is what it was. Sooner shall these mountains crumble to dust than Chile and Argentina break the peace that they have made at the feet of the Redeemer. They've, they've never gone to war with both those two nations. Maybe they found something that peace can only be found at the feet of the Redeemer. This morning, if you're here today and you're in that cloud of not knowing which way to go, can can I suggest to you that the, the way to find purpose and the way to find direction in life is to give your life to Christ. He is the source of peace. The prophet Isaiah tells us about the secret of peace that the secret of peace is found in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If you will fix your thoughts, if you will become Christ-centered, if you will allow Jesus to become the object of your affection, the, the, the magnificent obsession of your life, you will know an inexplicable peace. I believe that with all my heart because peace is obtained by knowing the prince of peace. Chuck Swindoll has a, has a book. Uh, it's on the life of Job. And, and the subtitle of, of that is A Man of Heroic Endurance. In, 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 in his book, he, he, he brings up the uh, advice that his wife gave. Now, 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 Job, if you know, went through these horrific experiences. He's, he's, he's got, his head is covered with boils from, from, from head to toe. He, he's gone through these traumatic, terrible experiences, right? And his wife says to him, his wife, now we don't know what his wife's name is. And someday, someday I have a feeling that we'll find out what her name is. And, oh yeah, you're Job's wife. And, you know, just kind of walk away quietly, you know. What, what she said was this. She, this is her advice to Job. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? And, 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 and Swindoll says, 
He didn't say, his response wasn't, gee, honey, thanks for the advice. You know, his, his, his word to her was, what was this? I'll read it to you from the, from the messenger. He says, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. You know? And, and, and he says, why? After all of these cataclysmic things that were happening to Job, why does he remain so clear-headed, so, so certain? There's, there's no wavering in There's no uncertainty in this man's life. He doesn't entertain that thought, not even for one single moment. And, and, and the reason that Swindoll gives is this, that in times of trouble, sound theology is invaluable. I would say this way, that in times of difficulty, because Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In times of trouble, the man or woman who knows the word of God and who knows the God of the word, it's priceless. It's priceless. Now, Swindoll uses a famous Peanuts cartoon to kind of sum up this illustration. And I want you to picture it in your mind. Linus has his blanket and he's standing by the picture window by the family room. And uh, standing next to him is Lucy who's in control. And uh, they're watching it rain. And it's raining in sheets, right? And, and, and it's raining so hard that they can't see the trees at the edge of the, of the property. So so Lucy sighs and she looks and she says, look at this rain. She says, if this keeps, keeps going on like this, it's going to flood the whole earth. And Linus quickly responds and says, that'll never happen. It says in Genesis 9-7 that God will never again destroy the earth by a flood. He'll put, he put a rainbow in the sky to prove his promise is true. And then Lucy looks at him and she responds by saying, boy, you've taken a load off my mind. And then he says... Sound theology has a way of doing that. This morning, I want you to know that you've heard sound theology. But this peace is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. What I want you to walk away with this morning is, is a person. And when you walk away with Jesus, you, you walk away with the one who is a wonder who does wonders in the lives of those who trust him, that he brings peace into the most troubling of circumstances. Put your trust in him. The prince of peace, the Lord of peace, the king of peace, he's the source of peace that maybe you've been looking for, that you've been searching for, that's eluded you all this time. Put your confidence in him. He will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we consider the sound theology of Jesus, there, there is nothing more sound, there is, there is nothing more beneficial to us than when the living word becomes alive in our spirit. So I pray this morning, Father, that the the Prince of Peace himself, will impart peace to this congregation today. To those who find themselves in a spiritual fog, I pray that the fog will lift as they fix their hearts and their minds on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Lord of Peace. Jesus, the King of Peace, who gives peace to all those who trust in him.
whose minds are stayed upon him. So Lord, I pray now that hearts would just be open. If there's anyone here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ, we're, we're so glad that you are here and we have been praying that you will discover the treasure that is in Christ as we have discovered that there is a treasure in Christ. He comes without money and without price, but he has paid for a peace. His, his grace is without price, but his grace came at the expense and cost of his own life and blood that's available if you will receive it. And you start that conversation this morning simply by doing this, by saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my life. I invite you into the fog and into the midst of, of, of my circumstances. I receive you as Savior. I receive you as Lord. Just, like I said, I keep saying it's not magical words. It's, it's, it's the heart that goes out in faith to receive a wonderful Savior like Jesus. You begin a journey, and this journey is, is to discover that there are more blessings than we can possibly contain or we can possibly number. We could say like the psalmist, that you have blessed us with, with infinitely more things than we can possibly speak of. But that's our heart's desire today to just bless God at the end of this service, at the end of this year, receiving all that he has in store for us. Let's all stand together as we worship him.